Welcome back to another episode of The Wire Podcast. I am your host, Ryan McCrary, and today uh, i got a couple things I want to talk about. I want to talk about the NBA offseason, kind of review it, talk about some winners, talk about some losers. I also want to talk about the Chiefs-Buccaneers game from Sunday, and then uh, college basketball has started. We saw a couple of impressive debuts from some freshmen. Uh, I want to talk about that. I actually considered delaying this episode until tomorrow. Um, because we have the Ravens-Steelers game, which is finally going to happen. That's been delayed a couple times, but that's being played in a few hours. But I decided to just do it today. There's a few topics that I want to talk about, uh, and I don't want to delay them any further. So I wanted to just do that today, and without further ado, let's just hop in, talk about the Chiefs-Buccaneers matchup, which went down Sunday. This is a really, really fun game. Um, and the first thing you gotta talk about is the first quarter, and what an unbelievable first quarter for Tyreek Hill, he went off, um, and in that first quarter, he had 203 receiving yards and two touchdowns, which is just absolutely incredible, and they only had, the Chiefs only had three possessions, so he did all of this in just three possessions, and when you think about, like, the length of a football field, so he... He had 203 yard receiving yards, so basically he went down the entire football field twice in just three possessions. That is in- incredible to think about. Um, when you when you can when you think about it in that way, it just makes it even more impressive. Um, he was amazing, and I don't really understand why the Buccaneers kept defending him one on one. They would put him in one-on-one situations, uh, in man coverage, even in zone coverage. They wouldn't bracket him with two defenders, uh, which they honestly should do, or, or should have done. Don't know why they didn't. But they would just, they would have him in one-on-one situations, and the Chiefs would take advantage of it. Because the Buccaneers don't have anyone that has the speed to keep up with Tyreek Hill. And to be honest, there aren't many people in the NFL that can keep up with Tyreek Hill. And of the few names that can, none of them play for Tampa Bay. So I don't really understand what their thought process was in putting um, putting, like, Jamel, or putting, not Jamel Dean, but Carlton Davis on him one-on-one, that didn't really make sense, in my opinion, and it didn't work out, as you can see, Tyreek Hill went off, and if you had him in fantasy, you were, like, you were ecstatic watching that game, because he, he was incredible, I think he had 39.8 points in the first quarter alone, like, he was incredible, um, what a wonderful first quarter performance from him. It's, it was really reminiscent from the Randy Moss game, uh, where he had, like, three catches and three touchdowns, and he had, like, like over 100 yards. It was crazy. It was kind of like that kind of performance. It was it was just awesome. Um, and, and that kind of kick-started a wonderful um, first half for the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs, they went up 17-0, I mean, it looks like the Buccaneers were going to get blown out. Um, and, and the Chiefs actually had the ball. Uh, they were up 17-0 with the ball in the red zone. Um, and the Bucs got a, a huge, they got a huge break. They got a strip sack. Mahomes fumbled the ball. They recovered. And they responded uh, with a touchdown of their own. Ronald Jones, he caught a little pass in the flat. And he took it 37 yards. 
hurdled a defender. That play was incredible. Somehow stayed in bounds and he scored a touchdown. Uh, but Tyreek Hill wasn't done. He scored once more in the third quarter, which brought his total, his receiving yards total to 206. Actually, hold up. I don't have it written down. Hold up. To 269 and three total touchdowns on the day. Um, and, and that was just, like, what an incredible performance. 269 receiving yards, three touchdowns. That's incredible. He had over 50 uh, fantasy points on Sunday. Tyreek Hill just went off against the Buccaneers, and he was able to take advantage of some questionable decisions made by their defensive coordinator. Uh, but this game didn't end up being a blowout. The Bucks actually, they fought really hard in the second half. They were they were able to make it a three-point game in the final minutes. Tom Brady played quite well in the second half, had some big throws, had a big throw deep to Gronkowski, um, had another big throw deep down the field to Chris Godwin. He started playing well, and the Bucks offense, they got going. And, and the Bucks defense, they, they made some adjustments, and they were playing well in the second half. And I was really surprised that the Bucks were able to keep um, to keep the game close because Tom Brady turned the ball over twice in the second half. One inter- he, he, he intercepted, he threw two interceptions. One was definitely his fault. He had to throw a, um, a go route on the left side of the field. It was, it was a bad throw. But another one, the ball got deflected. It bounced up in the air and it ended up in a, a Chiefs defender's hands. So that throw wasn't really his fault. But the Buccaneers turned the ball over twice. And the Chiefs were able to capitalize on it. So the Bucks did a good job of limiting what the Chiefs offense was able to do in the second half. Um, and they were able to make it a close game. Uh, but on, on, the Chiefs got one final drive. And Mahomes did what he does. He, he came up clutch, came through in the clutch. Um, and they were able to get a few first downs and end the game. It was a really, really good game. Um, did it, look, it, it did not look like it was going to be in the first half. When the Chiefs were up, um, three possessions, uh, but the Buc- the Buccaneers defense got it together. Their offense kind of turned it around in the second half, and they made it they made it into a, a really really good game. But what a uh, what a fantastic performance from Tyreek Kill. Um, that was the main storyline from this game. Patrick Mahomes played well. Also, he had four hundred and sixty two yards. 9.4 yards uh, on average, three touchdowns, a 91.1 QBR, and a, and a passer rating of 124.7. And I think he is in the lead for MVP. It's actually really close between him and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I would lean towards Mahomes. He's been awesome this year. The last four games, he has over 1,500 passing yards. Um, he's not turning the ball over much. I think he has two interceptions. He has the lowest interception rate of um, anyone in the league, which is <laughs> incredibly impressive, especially consider- considering his play style. Um, his ability to limit turnovers is is really, really impressive. Um, and like, he's leading the league in QBR. I think he's leading the league in passer rating as well. Um, and so all of that combined, I think, I think he deserves to win MVP. His team is also um, probably... I would argue it's the best in the NFL, but I think at minimum it's like this is a top two or a top three team in the league. Um, record wise, it's up there as well. So I think all that combined, um, 
makes him deserving of the MVP award, but I do think that there was an argument to be made that Aaron Rodgers deserves it because he has more touchdowns, um, and he, he's been playing super well. Also, I just, I think there's a, a better statistical argument, and just looking at how they're playing, I think there's a better argument for Patrick Mahomes. All right, anyway, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to the NBA offseason. I want to talk about that. I have three winners and three losers. Let's start. Let's get started with, should I do the losers or winners first? You know what? Let's get the negative out of the way. Let's talk about the losers first. So, my first loser, I have the Detroit Pistons. And it shouldn't have been this way. They should have had a really good offseason because they, they had the seventh pick in the draft. And everything worked out perfectly with the seventh pick. They were able to draft Killian Hayes, who was the number one player on my board. He's a, I, th- I think he is like, he was easily a top three player in the class. And if you go on draft Twitter, uh, there weren't a lot of people that had Killian Hayes outside the top three. I think amongst draft Twitter, he was a consensus top three player in the class. Um, and a lot of places you would have found him at two. Um, I know a lot of people, I know some people had him at one, including me. Uh, but either way, like, this was a great value pick. I mean, they got Killian Hayes. They got a point guard who can be the lead guard for their team. He's great at running the pick and rolls. He's a great live dribble passer. And he's a developing shot creator, as well as a pretty solid off-ball defender at this point in his career. And he's only 19 years old now. Uh, so I love that pick. But then they started making some questionable decisions throughout the rest of the draft. With the 16th pick, they took Isaiah Stewart, who is... A solid big a college big, but he's undersized. He's not a he's not the greatest finisher. Like he's not the greatest vertical athlete, and he couldn't shoot the ball in college. Supposedly he's a good shooter in practice, but just looking at the numbers, uh, watching his games in college, he just wasn't a good shooter at the collegiate level. And when you look at the size, the the limited. Um, vertical athleticism and the non-factor that he is as a shooter I just don't think he's worth taking at 16 and I for one am someone who is not really I don't value centers that highly there's like I value centers but the centers that I value they fit a very specific mold and it's a mold that Isaiah Stewart just doesn't fit in um so I didn't really like this pick and then at 19 they took Cynic Bay solid pick um a little bit of a reach, and I think this is a bad selection considering that Tyrese Maxey was available. I would have gone with Ma- with Maxey at 16. I also would have gone with Maxey at 19. Um, so I think they made a mistake um, of not picking him up when he fell. Um, and, but they got Sadiq Bay, who's a solid player, um, a good shooter. I'm a little bit lower on the defense than, than the consensus. I think the consensus sees him as some high-level 3 and D guy who can defend on the perimeter as well as inside against some fours. I just don't see him that way. I think his perimeter def- defense is not as good as everyone believes it is. He's a little bit uh, he- heavy-footed. He's not as good against quick def- quick ball handlers, and so I think that's a bit of an issue. But this is a solid pick. It's fine. Uh, but the Isaiah Stewart pick, I didn't really like whatsoever. I thought they had a lot, a lot better options. Like they could have taken Alexei Pogoshevsky there. They could have took Tyrese Maxey, um, and like I think those would have been really, really good picks. They could have just absolutely killed the draft and gotten Killian Hayes, Poku, 
and and Tyrese Maxey. That would have been a wonderful draft, and they would have won the entire draft. Like they would have just won it. Uh, but instead, they made some questionable questionable decisions. I don't think this was a terrible draft. I just think they they missed some opportunities to just to uh, have the best draft out of any team in the NBA. And then the Isaiah Stewart pick looks a lot worse now because in free agency they signed Mason Plumley, they signed Jaleel Okafor, um, they did let Christian Wood walk. Uh, but why would you sign Mason Plumley and Jaleel Okafor if you already drafted Isaiah Stewart? It just doesn't really make sense. And now you're limiting the the possible or the potential development of Isaiah Stewart by signing more competition for him. So now, like, I don't know how much he's going to play. Is he going to start? I would guess not. But I don't really know. I don't get the thought process behind drafting Stewart and then signing Mason Plumlee and Jaleel Okafor. And at this point, my issue with the pick is no longer, um, like, is I, I no longer have an issue with the value and, and the pick itself. Now I'm starting to question why you would make the why you're you're just you're you're just ah uh, hate this pick because you are just crushing any upside there was with this pick by signing more competition and by signing two guys that are going to take away minutes from Isaiah Stewart. It just doesn't make sense from a team building aspect. It really doesn't. And they they signed Jeremy Grant, who was a good player, but signing him for twenty million dollars. Doesn't really make sense with the with the Pistons timeline. Like I don't think it's it's like I don't necessarily think it's too much money for Jeremy Grant, but for a young developing team, I don't think that was a very smart contract to sign. Um, and then letting Christian Woodwalk was a mistake. I mean, he only got paid thirteen million dollars a year from the Rockets. I think that's good value, and I think the the Pistons should have done anything, um, should have done everything possible. To bring back Christian Wood, I just don't really. I, I it, their free agency was horrible in my opinion, and I don't really get a lot of the moves they made. And I think uh, all the centers they signed, I think doing that makes the Isaiah Stewart pick even worse. And so I, I just hate the Pistons offseason. And instead of moving forward, I think they either stayed neutral or they possibly took a step back. Because uh, they made some really, really bad moves uh, in this offseason. Um, oh, I, I do need to mention that the Sadiq Bay pick was part of the Luke, Luke Kennard and Bruce Brown, Brown trade. So they, they did get rid of Luke Kennard as well. Um, so that sucks. And, and that's an even... Like, losing Luke Kennard, who's a solid secondary ball handler, that's even more of a reason to take Tyrese Maxey at 19. Because Tyrese Maxey can fill that role... Um, and, and fill it and just do more than just fill Luke Kennard's shoes. Like, he's a, he's got the potential to be a really good shooter. He's a solid shot creator, um, a fundamentally sound defender. And then, even if he, even if his size limits his impact as a defender, you have Killian Hayes right next to him who can kind of fix that issue that he has. And so, I think, I think they should have 100% selected Tyrese Maxey in the draft, but they didn't. Let's move on to my second loser. That is the New York Knicks, who continued to make some horrendous decisions. Let's start with the draft. So at number eight, they took Obi Toppin. I know everyone loves Obi Toppin. Uh, as you know, I'm lower on him. I had him ranked 22nd on my big board. And, th- and this is 
I, I get the intrigue with Obi Toppin. And I get why you would take him this high. But <laughs> this is not a good fit. Like, I, Obi Toppin does not fit with the Knicks roster. And now, like, with all the bigs they already had on the roster, they had Mitchell Robinson, they had Julius Randle. And even if Obi Toppin, if, you, if you're going to plug him into the lineup, to maximize his, uh, his offensive strengths, you need to be able to space the floor. And, and they don't have the floor spacing to maximize Obi Toppin. And so I don't get why they didn't just take a guy like Cairo Lewis, who would have, you know, helped up the floor spacing. It would have given them a reliable ball handler, uh, someone who can lead, lead the offense, run pick and rolls, uh, play off the ball if needed. Um, I think Kyra Lewis would have been a good pick. I also think Cole Anthony um, should have been considered here. Maybe Tyrese Maxey, but I think Kyra Lewis or Cole Anthony should have been considered here. Um, Kyra Lewis would have personally been my selection. Um, but they went with Obi Toppin. I just, I think Obi Toppin's a reach at this point. I also think um, that he's not a, re- a very good fit with the roster. Um, and, and I think they should have gone with someone who's a good shooter and can lead the offense as a as a potential primary ball handler. Um, so I think that was a mistake. And then at 25, they take Emmanuel quickly. And taking a, a undersized off guard, who's probably not going to be a good defender d- despite um, his really impressive wingspan. Like, I don't understand why they didn't just go with Desmond Bain or Isaiah Joe. That would have been a great pick. That would have been awesome. Like, getting Desmond Bain at 25 or Isaiah Joe is good value. Uh, Desmond Bain would have been a great value. I had him in, inside my top 15. He probably should have been a lottery pick. Um, dude's a stud. I love Desmond Bain. But they just, I, I, and I get the logic behind this pick. The logic makes sense. You get a shooter who's going to improve your floor spacing. And the shooting indicators for Emmanuel quickly were awesome. Like, he was an excellent shooter in college. But the role that he plays just doesn't have much value. And there are other guys that can do more than him that are bigger, better, and bigger, better shooters while also providing, like, secondary ball handling or, uh, potential as a defender. Like, Isaiah Joe has a big wingspan, but he's got great size, and I think if he develops his body, he's going to be a solid defender and, and, and an impact defender in the NBA. And so I think Isaiah Joe would have been a great fit here, as well as Desmond Bain. Um, I also think getting a point guard at this spot would have been a good idea, since you took Obi Toppin uh, at, at pick number 8. Maybe you, you kind of reach a little bit and get, get Nico Mannion, um, I think that would have been a, a, a good idea, potentially. Uh, but I think they definitely should have taken Desmond Bain or Isaiah Joe. Um, I think both players provide more value, um, and fit the mold that, I, that, and, and just, they fix the issues that Emmanuel quickly does, but they just fit, they fix a lot of other issues as well, and they pro, they, and they provide more value. Um, and then in free agency, they signed Mar- Maurice Harkless. Did they do anything else? I don't think they did. I think all they did was sign Marie Carcliffe. No, they did sign Austin Rivers, who I like. Uh, but just, they didn't, they weren't able to do much in free agency. Um, and in the offseason, they didn't get a point guard and they didn't fix their floor spacing. Um, so two major issues that they had a chance, they had an opportunity to fix. They didn't. And they could have done this through the draft. They could have done this through free agency. 
uh, but they didn't. So I think they had a, a like their their offseason was a colossal failure, in my opinion. I think they're actually bigger losers than the Detroit Pistons, uh, to be completely honest. All right, my final loser for the NBA offseason is and to, before I get before I uh, say the name of the team or reveal the name of the team. There weren't a lot of teams that just completely lost in the offseason. Well, there weren't that many. I mean, the, the Pistons and the Knicks were obvious choices, but I don't think there was many teams that just had a horrendous offseason. I really don't. And so my last team is the Golden State Warriors. Um, and I don't think the reason why they're up here, um, it, it's a little bit, it has a little bit to do with what they did in the draft. Uh, but a ma- uh, the main reason why they're up here is because of the Clay Thompson injury, and so I don't I don't like put any blame on their offseason on their front office. Like the Clay Thompson injury is the main reason why they're up here, um, and, and that just sucks because they had an opportunity to compete for a championship this year, and with Clay Thompson not being available, I just don't see them being able to um, compete at that level. Uh, like they would have been able to with Thompson in their lineup. And so I think that really hurts them. Um, and then in the draft, with the second pick, they, they selected James Wiseman. And um, he's another guy that I'm a lot lower on um, than the consensus. I don't think that picking him at number two makes any sense. I think Onyeka Okongwu was a better center. Um, and I think Onyeka is so much better than James Wiseman. They're not in, in the same tier. Um, like, Onyeka just does so, so many things at a higher level than Watchman. He's a much better defender. He's a much versatile defender. Um, he's a good play finisher. Um, and, and I think, but I think his defense and his versatility as a defender separates him from Watchman. Uh, if you wanted to go with the big at number two, I think you should have gone with Okongwu. Um, I also would have considered Dev of a Cell. Um, I probably would have taken Vassell at number two, uh, but Onyeka would have been a fine pick as well. I just, I, I, I just don't think Wiseman was a good value here. I had him 19th on my board. I also don't think that um, he's going to be a, a very valuable player uh, as a rookie and moving forward. Um, maybe he hits a high-end outcome that I'm not expecting, um, and if that does happen, this pick will likely be worth it because he does have the potential to be a really good defender with his mobility, with his length and his size. I just I just don't think the the basketball IQ is there. Um and, and, and he was a pretty rough defender in college. I know it was three games, but even in high school he had some issues offensively. Uh, he's never been a great defender. Um but I, I just I really hope he proves me wrong because I don't want these guys to fail. I just give my opinion on their on what I watched on film, and what I saw on film was a guy who had the physical tools to be great, just didn't have the basketball AQ, and wasn't a good enough defender to be worth a top three pick in my eyes. Um, but they didn't get a, make a really good pick at forty eight, getting Nico Mannion. Um, I thought this was a good value pick. I really like Nico Mannion, especially at forty eight. They signed him to a two way contract. I like that. It gives them a, a really good backup point guard uh, behind Steph Curry. I love that pick, and I think he's going to be—I um, think he's going to have a, a really a solid impact as a rookie. 
um, if he plays. Hopefully he plays because I think he get he he provides some necessary talent. Uh, the Warriors didn't have a lot of depth last year, and Nico Mannion can help out with that. It gives them a, a solid backup point guard who can run pick and rolls, who can shoot the ball off movement, um, and he's got a decent amount of athleticism. Um, that his athletic advantage that he had in high school was um, was minimized in college, uh, but I, I still think that's something that he can weaponize in the future. I, I really like that pick. And in free agency, they traded for Kelly Oubre. They signed Brad Wanamaker. They signed Kent Bazemore. Um, so they did a good job of addressing their depth. Um, and, and I like the, the Kelly Oubre trade. Kelly Oubre is a really good player. Um, he's got some, like his production last year was really good. Um, and he, he provides some decent two way impact. Uh, but the, with the James Wiseman pick combined with the Clay Thompson injury, I just think that the Warriors are in a much worse spot than they were before Clay Thompson got injured. That's why they are a um, an offseason loser, in my opinion. Uh, but there weren't that many losers, so I had to put someone up here. And the Warriors were the only team that I really thought were in a uh, a worse position coming out of, of the offseason than they were going in. So that's why they're up here. Uh, but hopefully they have a good season. I think they have a chance to make the playoffs. Uh, but I am, I am a little bit worried that uh, the lack of star power on this team will hurt their chances of making it in, even as a seventh or eighth seed. I think it's going to be a rough year for them, uh, because like last year, uh, Curry, Curry was good at the beginning of the year, but he just he kind of struggled a bit because every team was focused so heavily on him, um, and, and the Warriors struggled at, at the beginning of the year last year, even with. Curry, D'Angelo Russell, and Clay Thompson, and so you subtract Clay Thompson from the team, and now they have Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, and those are your two, um, like those are the two driving forces of their offense, and that's a rough spot to be in when your second guy, um, when you're like your when your second option is Andrew Wiggins, um, and he's going to be trusted to make to have a big role as a uh, shot creator along the perimeter, and so um, that's a rough spot to be in. Excuse me, and um, I think I think this could be a an underwhelming year for the Golden State Warriors. I hope it's not because I'm a big Steph Curry fan. Um, I'm just not as high on them as a lot of people are. Now let's get into some freshman debuts in college basketball. This freshman class is so unbelievably good, um, and I want to talk about two players. Uh, whose first games were last week, um, on Thanksgiving, uh, on Thanksgiving Day. One of them was like the day before Thanksgiving. One of them was on Thanksgiving Day. Let's start off with Cade Cunningham, uh, who faced off against UT Arlington in his first collegiate basketball game. His stat line was impressive. He, uh, had 21 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, shot 44% from the field, 40% from the three-point line, and 71% from the free-throw line. Had five turnovers, a good a good uh, debut, um, but not an amazing game by his standards. But he still put up a twenty one point double double, and it's like, eh, that's not a great Kate Cunningham game. That's incredible. Uh, those are that that just shows how high the standards are for Kate Cunningham. He had a wonderful day. Had a few rough turnovers, um, but the flashes that he showed. Uh, as a ball handler, as a as a shot creator, were all as a playmaker were awesome. 
Like he had a beautiful crossover into a pull up, pull up uh, mid range jump shot at one point in the game that was awesome. He showcased an elite change of pace, um, an elite body control when attacking the basket. He's not a great athlete. Like Cade Cunningham isn't going to overwhelm defenders with elite athleticism, but he, he understands how to create advantages by changing his pace. And he under he understands how to create advantages when attacking the basket by um, utilizing really good footwork um, and, and and just controlling his body when attacking the basket. He also the mechanics on his jump shot looked really smooth and fluid in this game. Um, that that looked good. And although we're and like I said earlier, although there were a a a good amount of mistakes in this game. There were also some special moments, and you could see why he is, or why he is thought to be um, easily the number one prospect in in the upcoming draft. He was really good in this game, um, and in the playmaking combined with the elite change of pace, um, the flashes of shot creation, just it was all really, really good. His ball handling looked awesome. Um, I thought it was a good debut for him. Um, and, and I'm just excited to watch him moving forward. I, he has played three games already. I haven't seen his last two games, uh, but I made sure I made sure to tune into this game, watched it live, um, and he was he was he was really good. I uh, I liked what I saw from him, especially defensively. I do need to talk about his defense. I thought he was his. Um, I thought he was really good defensively in this game. He was active. His on-ball defense was good. His off-ball defense was great as well. Um, he looked like he actually cared on that end. And his size um, and just physicality showed up on that end of the floor. And I thought that was impressive as well. Uh, now, to close out the podcast, I want to talk about Jalen Suggs' debut versus Kansas. He's a point guard for Gonzaga. Um, and boy, did he have a wonderful debut. He had 24 points, 4 rebounds, 8 assists, shot 60% from the floor, 67% from 3, and 80% from the free throw line, and 2 steals, uh, 1 turnover, just an unreal freshman debut, um, the athleticism was crazy, uh, the, the eye manipulation as a playmaker was there, um, his playmaking in, in, in transition and in the half court was awesome in this game. And you saw the athleticism. Like, he had a, um, he had a crazy alley-oop poster in the beginning of the game. Um, and just the combination of shooting, playmaking, athleticism, size, it's, it's all there with Jalen Suggs. And I didn't realize he was such a good playmaker coming in. Uh, I had heard his name, and I watched a little bit of him in high school, not enough to have, like, a a, a solid opinion, uh, but I knew he was a good shooter, um, and I knew that was, like, the biggest part of his game, and I, and I had heard that he was a solid defender, and, and that showed up as well. Like, he has really strong hands, um, and he's really good at defending on the ball and, and just disrupting plays off the ball, Um but the most impressive thing about this game, in my opinion, was his body contortion on his attempts at the rim. Like he was able to contort his body, um, make some really difficult uh, shots at the rim, um, and he was also able to attack the rim with some quick burst. 
Um, and and he, he just knows how to create advantages by, by changing pace, just like Kate Cunningham. But he's got good athleticism. Um, and his shooting looked really good. He hit some shots off movement, coming off screens. Um, and just, he, he hit some shots from deep range. It was just an incredible debut from him. Um, and, and he looked like he was the second best player in the class in this game. Like, he honestly did. Just an unreal debut from him, both from a, a statistical standpoint and just watching, uh, and, and the eye test was awesome. Um, I'm really excited to watch Jalen Suggs throughout the season. I thought he had an excellent debut, probably the best freshman debut out of anyone. He was amazing, or at least anyone that I've seen. Um, I haven't seen everyone, but he was awesome, and I, I, I was really, really impressed. And he looked like he was gonna be, like he's gonna be a really good NBA player. Anyways, that's all I have for this episode of the podcast. I hope y'all enjoyed, and I will see y'all next time. Peace. Oh, <laughs>